So we're beginning to look at what does God's Word mean to us. And we've looked at some scriptures before. Now we're going to look at it from a different point of view. The Word of God, Jesus teaches us how this Word is intended to work in us. So the main scripture on that is in Matthew chapter 13. So let's turn there together. Very famous parable that Jesus tells. One of my, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Matthew chapter 13. Very important. We're going to pick up in verse 1 when I get to chapter 13. On the same day Jesus went out of the house. I'm going to read down through it, and then we're going to go back over it. On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes gathered together to him, so that he got in a boat and sat, and a whole multitude stood on the shore. Behold, he, he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some seeds fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of the earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. Verse 9 says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We'll come back to that in a minute. The disciples came to him and said, so here's the progression. Jesus has been in a house teaching. And then he was done. He goes out and he goes up and sits on a hill. He didn't call the crowd around him. He just pulled aside and sat down. And a crowd begins to gather around him. That happened another time earlier in Matthew, back in chapter 5, when Matthew, Jesus has been teaching some things. Then he, he teaches what we call the, the Sermon on the Mount. But then he goes up on the mountain. He didn't teach that sermon on the mountain. He taught that sermon at the bottom of the mountain. Then he goes up on the mountain and the disciples want to know what it means. So what Jesus' pattern very often was to teach things in parables and then kind of pull away. And those people that were interested would come around him to find out what it meant. It's kind of like those people that come on Sunday and then some of you come back on Wednesday to find out what's really going on. So you can give yourself a hand clap for that. <laughs> so I didn't mean literally. And the reason for this is, is there's, a, there's a very short parable. Jesus said, don't, don't, don't throw your pearls before swine. Jesus will put truth out, but he won't force it on anybody. You have to want it. And the more you want it, the more you'll get. And this, we're going to see that in a minute. So he was used to hear, let him hear. Verse 10. And the disciples came to him. So this is, a, this is a little closer now. And said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. We'll come back to that. For whoever has, to him will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he does have will be taken away from them. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive, for the heart of this people has grown dull. That's very important. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, 
hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, but did not see it, or hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And then he goes on to say, therefore hear the parable of the sower. Now we're going to stop there a second. And we're going to go back to, to, chat, to verse 1. In one of the other accounts of this, Jesus says to them a very important thing. He says, if you can understand this parable, then you can understand everything else. Why? Because this parable is about hearing. It's about receiving God's Word. And what he's saying is, if you can learn the secret of this parable, then everything else I teach is opened up to you. But if you don't understand this, then you're going to miss the way most of these people missed, the real truth of what's being taught. And so let's begin to get into this a little bit. So let's go back to verse 1. Again, he goes out there. Let's go, go down to, um, let's start in verse 3. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, the birds came and devoured it, some fell on stony places. And we're going to go down now to verse 9. Here's what it's all about. He who is ears to hear, let him hear. That sounds familiar to me because he says it several other places, but one of the powerful places he says it is in the book of Revelation. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday. After the first two chapters, which is kind of an introduction, Jesus basically dictates to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos letters to seven different letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor. And each of these churches is a different letter because he was aware of different issues that he wanted to address. And then with almost all of them, he ends it by what he said to them. In most cases, he was, he was complimenting them on something, and then he would correct them on something. And then he would end to say, by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And I'll, I'll use that often because I believe God says, the Spirit says different things to different churches. So I, I'm not concerned with what, what the Spirit's saying to, to His Providence Church. I'm not concerned with what His Spirit's saying to some other church around here. I want to know what the Spirit's saying to Faith Christian Center because that's what we're responsible for. So He's talking about how to hear. That's what this is all about. Now we're going to begin to look in verse 10. It can sound a little bit confusing. This, we're going to take this apart. Okay. This, in verse 10, the disciples came and said, Why do you speak to them? in parables. So he's about to answer the question. Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. That's rude. Let's just be honest. That just sounds rude. That sounds like God picks favorites. And he says, after church, you guys come up here and I'll explain what I'm real talking about because there are a bunch of turkeys over there. And yet we know that's not true because in Acts 10.34 and several other places, the Bible says God's not a respecter of persons. God doesn't pick and choose favorites. God gives an equal opportunity to everybody. And so then what is this about? What's he talking about? Well, let's, let's see, one of the ways to understand the Bible is to understand, you've got to think the, the context of the whole Bible. Don't take one scripture and say, well, I don't know what, I guess that's what this means, something about God. Does that fit into the overall image of God that the Bible teaches? 
So when you see something like this and say, well, boy, that sounds as if God's picking favorites and saying, to you guys, you're the special ones. You get to know the secrets, but to them, they're a bunch of turkeys. I just hide it from them. But then you've got to look, what's God like? If God's not a respecter of persons, then that can't be what that means. There must be something else which should make us dig deeper, should make us ask the Holy Spirit, you're the author of this, what does this really mean? You may not get the answer right away. You may have to dig into it. You may have to meditate on it, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. In fact, that's one of the reasons God doesn't just lay everything out so it's easy to get, because then we wouldn't dig into it. And the more you dig into it, the more effort you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. So he has some things on the surface, some things a little deeper, and some you've got to go down deep in the mind and dig them out. And those are the real treasures and the rich things that will change and impact your life and other people's lives. And it's worth the effort. So what is he saying here? To you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. Why? Verse 12. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to whoever does... Okay, all right, so that sounds like what God does is he's taking somebody that's got a lot, and he's going to take away from people that don't have much and give it to people who have a lot. That's not what he's talking about. Because look at it says, and even what he doesn't not have, but what whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. That doesn't make sense. How can you take away from somebody who doesn't have anything? So that can't be what it means. So what does this mean? What does it mean? Well, go back to verse 9. This is what he's talking about. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So verse 10 says, go back to verse 10, go back to, ver- go to 11, and he, because it has been given to you in the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to them it's not. Now verse 12. Why? For whoever has, has what? Ears to hear. Whoever has ears to hear, more will be revealed to him. Why? Because he has ears to hear. Those that won't hear, God's not going to waste it on them if they won't hear. If, you're, if you have not heard from God in a long time, go back to the last thing you heard and find out if you're doing it. Because if you're not doing it, why is God going to show you the next step? If He's telling you how to go up the stairs, and He told you, go to step three, and you're trying to get to step seven and eight, but you haven't gone to step three, God won't go beyond step three until you've taken step three. Whoever has ears to hear, to him more will be given, more understanding. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have ears to hear, even what he does have, his understanding will be taken away from him. God's not going to take it away from him. The devil will. It'll fade. And we're going to see that as we get into this parable. Okay. So now we understand what he's talking about. Go down to verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they don't see. And hearing they don't hear nor do they understand. Why? Verse 14. For in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This was a prophecy about what was going to happen when the Messiah came. And he says, hearing, you will hear, but you will not understand. In other words, you will hear the words, but they won't have meaning to you. And seeing, you will see what's being done, but you won't perceive. See, understanding is when what you hear has meaning to you. So if I stood up here 
and spoke in, Mand- in Mandarin, which I can't, but if I did, you know, you could tell if I got excited, you could tell if I got boring, but you wouldn't leave here with any understanding unless you understood Mandarin. So you might have a great experience, but it, you wouldn't leave with any understanding. This is why teaching is so important. Preaching is valuable because preaching inspires us, it motivates us, and we need to be, because preaching will move, motivate you to act. But teaching gives you understanding so you can take it home and apply it in your life. And that's why teaching is so important. Verse 4, 15. And here's why. Here's why, they had, did, here's why they did not have ears to hear. This is why it sounds like it's not fair. God sharing special secrets to people that could hear better than others. That's not what's going on here. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. The hearts of the people have grown dull and their ears are hard of hearing. The reason they don't have ears to hear is because their hearts have grown, they didn't start out, they've grown dull, they've grown calloused, they've grown insensitive. In Ephesians 4, I think it is, it talks about the Gentiles, and it talks, he, Paul says, don't be like them, because they're, they, they, they live in darkness, because their hearts are hardened against the light or the truth of the Word of God. See, this is all about the heart. The Bible, the heart is so vital. This is why Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of your heart flow the issues of life. Not out of your mind, out of your heart flow the issues of life. That's what the devil's after. He's after to try to sow things in your heart. He's trying to sow... He's trying to sow anger, hurt, malice. He wants to eventually get he wants to eventually get bitterness in there because Hebrews says that a root of bitterness will begin to defile many because it comes out of your mouth. Their eyes are closed. God didn't close them. God didn't harden their hearts. God didn't dull their ears. And why? Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand and their heart should turn so that I should heal them. They've hardened their hearts. They've dulled their ears because they don't want to hear. Now here's the danger. As Christians, we can do the same thing. As Christians, we can do the same thing. Marilyn Neubauer, when she was here, I don't remember whether it was in the seminar she did on Saturday. I don't know, it was, it was Sunday morning. She talked about when we turn our back, when we close our ears to what God's saying to us, we're slowly hardening our heart. We're slowly hardening our heart. I've used this example before. When I was in law school, and we were married, it was like we'd been married a year or so, the summer job that I got was working in a wooden door factory. I'd never worked like that before. Uh, and I'm, my, my job was to work with, with the other man, and we were to take the orders that they had, and we were to take raw sheets of plywood, and we were to stack them up in a particular order so when they got over to the machine that glued them, they didn't have to figure out the order. So that means that my work partner and I would go to this large stack of different, of different um, pieces of plywood and pull them off and stack, which means our hands are grasping the edge of plywood. If you've ever grasped the edge of plywood, there's lots of little splinters there. Now, when I started the job, I'd never worked with manual labor. 
You know him? <laughs> I'd never work with Manny. <laughs> but this was manual labor. So my hands, when I started that job, were very soft and very tender. So when I would come home, when I would come home from school before I got that job, I could take my wife's hand and hold it or my, her face and touch it when my very delicate touch could feel, you know, kind of the softness of her hands and of her face. But after about a month on that job, my hands were so callous. By the end of the summer, I could stick needles into my hand and I wouldn't feel anything. Why? Because I was rubbing the soft tenderness of my hand up against rough, hard splinters. And when we resist the Spirit of God, when we resist the word, see the, the process, and if we get into it tonight, the process of the sower is God wants to sow the word in your heart so that he gives you understanding and then that word can begin to produce change in your life. It can produce healing in your life. It can produce salvation in your life. It can deliver you from fear. It can set you free. It's God's word with the power and ability of God, but it works in your heart. But it can only get into your heart to the extent that your heart is willing to be open and sensitive to the Spirit of God to speak to you through that. And if the more we resist him, the more we don't want to hear things, the more calloused our heart becomes. And eventually we get to the point where they are, where their hearts were so dull that the word of God never touched their heart at all. And that's a dangerous place to be. Say, how far does that go? I don't want to find out. I don't want to toy with it. I don't want to toy with it. And notice this. He says, he says, they've done this lest they should understand with their hearts. They don't want to understand. See, when we harden our heart, it's because I don't want to, because if I understand now, I'm responsible. Lest they should understand with their heart, so I should turn and heal them, make them whole. So he wants to heal them, and it's not just about physical healing. He wants to deliver, to set us free, but he can't because... They've hardened their hearts. They've dulled their ears. They've put a gloss over their eyes so that he can't do his work in them because it works through the heart. Okay? That's the setting here. That's the setting here. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see, which is the Messiah, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Okay, now we're going to go into the parable and explain the parable. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom of God, when anyone, so it's open to anyone, when anyone hears the word, when anyone hears the word, when anyone hears, God works through word, preach the word in season and out of season. Jesus is the word of God. He sent his word and heal them. God works by expressing himself. Jesus is the word of God, the word made flesh. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives the seed by the wayside. Now that's the New King James says wayside. Um, many of the other translations say path. It's a road. So here's the picture. And some of the other versions of this put it this way. 
God is the sower. He sows the seed. The seed is the Word of God, which is being sown right now. Some of the seed falls on a road. Well, they just paved, repaved the road in front of our house after 20-some years and all the potholes that I had to learn to dodge. They finally paved the road. That road is hard. If I take seed, and then, oh, this is neat, because then they came along because they dug up part of the edge of our, of our yard, and so they came along and sowed some seed there where they had dug up on our, on our yard. They put a little path of, of dirt down in there where they dug it up, and then some of the seed fell on the road. That seed washed away. It never got to germinate because it fell on a road as a hard surface. So in each of these examples, the seed is the same. The sower's the same. The difference is the soil into which it was sown. The sower is God. The seed is the Word of God, which is we're talking about, and the soil is the condition of our heart. Okay. Verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, that's rocky places, that's soil that has rocks in it. Now we ought to understand that around here. One of the things that we'll do when we have a guest, especially one that has a, a church guest that hasn't been around, is, is we like to take them down on a tour of Newport because it's, you know, it's beautiful, especially, you know, certain times of the year. And we'll go down and one of the things they'll comment about is all the stone walls around here. Uh, now, people are from, you know, the, the east or the northeast, they're used to it. But you get people from the Midwest, they're not used to that. My wife grew up in Ohio. They don't have these kind of stone walls here. Now, where do the stone walls come from? Do they go to a stone quarry and buy these stones to, to, to lay out? Of there? No. What are they? They we dug the stones up out of the ground. Why did they bother to dig them up out of the ground? I mean, that's got to be a lot of hard work to go before you plow a field, before you're going to plant your corn, before you're going to plant whatever it is you're going to plant, you take the time to dig up all these rocks and put them in a pile somewhere? Why do you bother to do that? Because the farmer understands something, that wherever there's a rock, something's not going to grow. Wherever a rock takes the place of soil where something can grow and produce fruit. So stony ground is ground that does not allow the roots to go down. Now, I forgot to mention this to you. And again, my mother was a horticulturist. She knew the, the, the Latin name for everything from poison ivy to, I don't know, things I don't understand. She could grow anything. Anita's father was like that. They could grow anything. Neither of us inherited that gift. <laughs> I put it this way. We can kill anything. <laughs> People have given us plants, and that's nice. I water them. I got some that are surviving this year. I'm getting better at it. Maybe as my confession changes, maybe that will help it. But, I mean, we just, we've killed plants, my mother said, or you can't kill. We did it, you know. And, and it wasn't like we neglected it. We just, I just didn't have a feel for it, and Anita didn't either. It's just, so, my, why did I tell that? Oh, okay, so I'm not a horticulturist. But I do understand some basic things, that, that everything that's needed for that plant to grow is in that seed. Think of that. Everything that's needed for that stalk of corn, everything that's needed for that tomato plant, everything that's needed for all of that fruit is in that little tiny seed. And that seed can be sitting in that packet for years. It's potential. And it's always there. 
But unless you do something with that seed, it's going to remain a seed. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this, unless a seed goes into the soil and dies, it remains by itself. But if it will go into the soil, if it's really referring to our life, and if you will plant your life and you will, you will die to yourself and allow your, put your life into God's hands, then it will begin to produce fruit. And this is what he's talking about, about the Word. So, if you take a seed then and you do put it in the soil, it needs something else. It needs soil to germinate and it needs water, basically. So if you give it those two conditions, what will happen? It will germinate. The life inside of it will begin to come alive and it will eventually break the outer casing and begin to come forth. And one of the first things I understand it does is it starts sending roots down into the soil. And for some, most of the plants, it sends what's called a taproot. And a taproot has two purposes. The first is to go down into the soil and secure it. So when Paul talked to the Ephesians or prays for the Ephesians that we be rooted and grounded in love, he's talking about having a root that goes down deep into the love of God for us that holds us steady in the storms of life. But the second thing the taproot goes down into that deeper soil is to get the moisture that's down in there so that it can begin to stand when the times are when the sun comes up and it begins to get hot. So you'll see that. My, you know, we have... We have Grass, a grass yard, but, but some of our neighbors have put the money into sprinkling systems, so when you hit the dry days of August, you know, my, our grass in, in April or May or June, you know, beautiful, wonderful grass, you know, but you get into August, if we haven't watered it, it's brown. It looks like it crinkles up. Why? Because the grass does not have roots that go down deep into the soil where the moisture is. So what he's talking about here is but when you've received the seed on stony places, he hears the word and receives it. We're talking about receiving it. So he's received. The first person didn't get it. It went right over their head. They didn't understand it. They may have sat in church and go, mm-hmm, yep, 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 yep. But they didn't understand it. It went right over their head. They may have heard the words. They may have walked out saying, wasn't that great? But they can't repeat what was said because they didn't grasp it. This person grasps it. And they receive it, and they receive it with joy. They're saying, praise God, hallelujah, that's what I'm trying to say. Wow, go for it. I used to think, my goodness, sometimes people, you're awful quiet in here. But I've learned that when you're really quiet, often that's because people are really getting it. And very many times when people say, yes, why? wow, it's, there are times to do that, so don't stop doing it. But it, it sometimes means we're, we're excited. See, what can happen is when the word is truth. And when you hear truth, it'll excite you. It's God's word. God speaking to you excites you. It's like, wow, God just spoke to me. But that doesn't mean it lasts. You ever have that happen on a, one day you go to bed and you wake up the next day and you wonder whether you're saved? I've had times at night, oh God, I feel so close to you. I almost don't want to go to bed. I go to bed, I wake up in the morning, it's like, where's the coffee? Where's God? What happened while I was asleep? <laughs> Did I go off and murder somebody? I mean, what happened? Well, it's a different day. My emotions are different because while you're asleep, you're thinking. Anyway, I don't want to go there. Okay, so this is somebody that hears the word, so they heard it. They, did, they didn't grasp. They heard it, but it hasn't, take, hasn't taken deep root in them. And they receive it with joy. 
But here's that proves what you receive, verse 21. But because that has no root in himself, he endures only a while, for when tribulation or persecution arises, why? Look why persecution comes. Look why trouble comes. Because of the word. The devil's after the word. See, the devil knows better than the Christians know what this word will do if it gets in your heart. The devil, so he's after the word. He doesn't care about you. He's after the word, which is why in church he'll try to distract you, which is why when you're reading your Bible, he'll try to distract you. When you're listening to CDs or tapes or whatever you listen to, he'll try to distract you. Suddenly you remember, you know what? What are we going to have for dinner? What are we going to do for this? Why? He's trying to distract you because he knows what that word will do if it gets sown in your heart. But here is persecution and trouble. Why? Because you're always doing an evaluation. If the word isn't very deeply in you and there's pressure against you, you'll give up the word to preserve yourself. Okay. Verse 22. He who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and this is the big one. This is where so many people that come to church all the time. See, the other people are people who come to church for a while and then they get discouraged because they're, they're not seeing miracles happening in their lives. They're not seeing prayers getting answered. So they get discouraged and they'll just go do something else. But you guys are the faithful ones, so that doesn't work. So now what does the devil try? He receives the word among thorns. Now, thorns are different than rocks. Rocks take the place of soil. So wherever there are rocks, there's no soil to take root in. But thorns are other plants. They're not rocks. And what thorns do is the, thor the, 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 the roots of the thorns compete with the roots of the Word of God, the seed, to take the nutrients away, to draw away what the seed of God needs in order to grow in your life and in your heart. And notice what it is. Notice what the thorns represent. The cares of this world. The cares of this world. The cares of this world. What happens with cares? What do cares do? What kind of things are cares? I don't know how I'm going to get the bills paid. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. I, you know, it can be real serious. We've been there. I don't know where we're going to live. You know, our lease is up. We've got to move somewhere, and we haven't found somewhere else. We've been there. I don't know where we're going to be. But you know what? We're still here. Somehow God provided for us. See, that's where as you get older and you've been around for a while, you have a different perspective on trouble because you've been through so many of them. And you may not know how God's going to get you through it. You may not know when God's going to get you through it. But you've got 30 years of experience of God getting you through it. Somehow, God's going to get us through it. So that's his business. I'm not going to figure it out. I'm just going to go back to sleep. Now, it's not always that easy. But here's the... Understand this. Cares of the world are a weapon of Satan to choke the word. He's after the word of God in your heart. It cares... Of this. And where do cares affect us? It's when they get in our heart. It's when they get down in our heart. Because the cares, what, the care, what, what a care is basically is when you're worrying about yourself. I mean, it may be your family, but that's you. It may be what's going to happen in your job. But ultimately, a care, this kind of care, 
Unless, see, he's not saying don't be concerned for things. He's, he's saying don't let the care dominate your heart. Because when it does, care is always self-centered. It's, I need to have my needs taken care of. And the second thing is it's unbelief. I don't believe God's going to take care of it. So I've got to worry about how it's going to happen. I've got to figure out how it's going to happen because I don't trust that God's going to do it. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about this because he talks about, there's a whole section in there also about your heart and what your heart's seeking after. And I've taught this before a number of times. He says, you know, he talks about that he uses the eye as, a, as, a, as, a, as an example, physical example of the heart. And he says, if your eye is good, meaning healthy, then the light that is in you is true. But if your eye is evil, the word means diseased, then the light that's in you is darkness. What he's saying is your eyeball is, the, is what allows light of what's going on outside to come into your body, come into your, into your brain and so you can understand what's out there. And if your eye is healthy, then what you're seeing is accurate. But if your eye is diseased, if it's cataracts, if it's astigmatism or something like that, light's getting in there, but you can't trust it because it's skewed, it's bent, it's warped somehow. And then he draws the parallel to the heart. Because if your heart is not, if your heart is seeking after anything other than God, then the light that's getting into your heart is also deformed just as the light that's going in your eyes. So he's talking about, so if your heart's seeking after God first, your heart is seek putting God first, then you can trust your heart and what you're seeing. So what does the devil do? He tries to get you to care about things other than God first. So Jesus goes on to say, therefore, because of this, he says, take care of what you worry about, what you think about. He says, why are you worried about what you're going to wear? It's referring to just our natural needs. And you, you know the story. You know, God's clothes the lilies of the field. And, and, they're more, you know, and they, they burn up in, in, in a short period of time. They're more beautiful than all of Solomon. And then he talks about, you know, uh, about food and the birds of the air. God feeds the birds and you're, more worth, you're worth more to him than the birds are. So why are you worried about all those things? God's going to take care of you. So what he's saying is, when you worry about things, you're not trusting God with your heart. You put something else in your heart more important than God. So what that's going to do is that's going to compete in your heart for your faith and your energy. It's going to compete with the Word of God, and it's going to suck off of, the, off of your heart things that go to feed the Word of God so that word, the seed of the Word can grow in your heart. You understanding this? Okay, okay. So the cares of this world is one of these, probably the most important one. Because when you look at them, of course we should care about those things. Well, yes, we need to take care of them, but not let them control our heart. When you get to the point of worry, then you put it in a place in your heart above God. That's why verse 33 is so important in Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seeking refers to what your heart's going after, what your heart's open uping, opening up to, which is what Isaiah was prophesying about. Their heart was closed to God. Their heart was closed to the Word of God. So he's saying, see, all the cares that you go through, there's something at stake in those far more than whether you're going to have a place to live, whether your guard's going to get fixed, all these issues of life. There's something far more important going on here than just whether your needs are going to be met. Because it's a, the devil is a deceiver. Well, look at this. And the deceitfulness of riches. How is riches deceitful? 
Because when you put your trust in riches, you're putting your trust to take care of you in what you can do, not who God is and what God can do. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean you can't seek after things. Seek is what you do with your heart. Seek first the kingdom of God because what your heart is seeking after determines what the word of God will be able to do in your heart. Because if your heart's seeking after the cares of this world, seeking after the riches of this world, then those things are going to draw the energy, the faith, and the attention of your heart off into natural things that have no eternal value and away from the word of God that's in your heart that has eternal value. And look what happens. Then the word in the word becomes unfruitful. The potential, the fruit is in it, but it can't produce the fruit because it needs to germinate in your heart. It needs the nutrition of your heart's attention, of meditating on it. It needs to get down deep in your heart. So many people miss things. They miss what God wants to do. They, the Word of God does not work in their lives the way it, sh- it can work, the way God intended to work, because they don't spend the time to take it on an 18-inch journey. From here to here. Because you can read this Word and read this Word. This is what I did for years. I would read the Word to make, come up with sermons. I would read the Word because I love understanding things. I would read the Word to understand it. I would do, I would do uh, 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 studies in concordance, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at some point, you've got to get it in your heart. It's not the Word in your mind that will do it, make any difference. It's the Word that gets sown in your heart, and that comes by meditating on it. That comes by, and meditating isn't reading it. You need to read it. But meditating it is when you think about it over and over and over and over again. I use this example. Um, certain uh, food companies, like cheese, cheese, uh, cheese companies, they'll, they'll, and, and other companies, that wine, wineries and things like that, they'll hire somebody to be a wine taster or a cheese taster. So their whole job is to put cheese in their mouth. I like that job. I love cheese. But if you're putting cheese, if you're eating cheese all day long, after a while, you know, your attitude towards that cheese is, I don't want to eat any more cheese. Or if, it's, if, it, if you're a wine taster after a while, you know, that stuff's pretty good, you know? So what do they do? They don't swallow it. If it's wine or if it's some other some other fluid, they'll roll it around in their mouth and then they spit it out. They're getting the taste of it, but they're not getting the nutritional value of it. And when all you do is read the Word of God, you're running it around in your mind, but you're not swallowing it and getting it down into your heart. It's only what gets down into your stomach that brings value and strength to your body. It's only what gets down in your heart. So the way you meditate on it is you just kind of roll it around in your mind. You think about it. I'll put it this way. I don't have time. I teach school of ministry. I I teach renewing the mind. I go through this in some detail. I asked the Lord one time, how do I teach meditation? He said, son, it's easy. Most of the people are experts at it. I said, really? Yeah. He said, that's what worry is. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Just start worrying on God's word instead of your own thoughts. What do you do when you worry? You think about it over and over again. What's going to happen? You project that what this is going to mean. 
What's it going to mean to me? How's this going to feel? What's this going to look like? And you get, begin to build it up in your mind, and you begin to get, oh my gosh, we're going to lose my job. I'm going to, what's going to happen? I'm going to lose my job. But if you do that with the Word of God, God's Word says He'll supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. What, is, what if that's really true? Wow. What if, I, what if God will always supply all my needs? What does that mean? That means I can sleep at night. That means I never have to be anxious. Begin to do that and project what that means. That's meditating on it. Speak it to yourself over and over and over again. And what you're doing is you're watering it. You're watering it. And when you reject the thoughts of worry, when you reject those thoughts, then you're weeding your garden. And that allows the Word of God to begin to produce fruit in your life. In Matthew chapter 15, I don't, we're not going to have time to get into all this. Jesus says this. Put it up there if you would. He said, you need not honor your father or your mother. He's talking about the, one of the Ten Commandments, what they've done with it. He says, because of this, you have made the commandment or the word of God of no effect by your tradition. A tradition is man's rigid concept of something that he won't move. And our traditions, our way of think, man's way of thinking, our way of thinking, well, we've always done it this way. We can get to the point where the way we always do it, the way we always think, can literally make the Word of God of no effect in our lives. And that's what happens when people say, I know what the Word says, but. I know what the Word says, but I believe. That's man's tradition. And when we do that, we're we're making the Word of God of no effect in our lives, in our heart. Okay, uh, go on to the next verse. We may get to a little bit of this in here. This, this is what he says about people do that. Jesus, Jesus would not have made a good pastor. He would not have had a, 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 a user-friendly church, a seeker-friendly church, because he starts out by calling them hypocrites. And then he says, Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you, saying, and now he's going to quote the same prophecy. Verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Verse 9. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 10. When he called the multitude himself, he said, Hear and understand. Verse 11. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, it's what comes out of the mouth that defiles him. Why? Because it comes out of the heart. The disciples say to him, he says, Don't you know you offended the Pharisees? When they heard this say, don't you know you offended the Pharisees? And Jesus went, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Of course he meant to do it. Verse 14. Oh, but he answered and said to them, every plant that my father has not planted will be uprooted. Talking about the word there. Let them alone. The, they, they are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they're all going to fall into a ditch. And Peter said to him, please explain this parable to us. Jesus said, are you still without understanding? It's not what you hear, it's what you understand. Understanding is when you've received it in your heart. Don't you understand, do you understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. But out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. 
These are the things that befile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not befile a man. Is that the last verse I gave you? It is, okay. So what's he saying here? We're talking about receiving the word and understanding it. Receiving in our heart and understanding it. Receiving in our heart and understanding it. Think of it this way. In this book, whether you read it, whether you hear it preached, whether you listen to it on your phone or whatever you listen to it on, the Word of God contains everything you need for God to do in your life what He wants to do. To set you free from fear, to heal your body, to heal your mind, to restore your soul. Everything God wants to do for you, He brings to you through His Word. Through His Word. That's the potential that this Word has in it. The power of God to change and transform you and to set you free. We determine how much of that will become a reality in our lives by the openness and attentiveness of our heart. Proverbs 4.20 says, My son, attend, attend to my sayings. Attend means you purposely go after it. You purposely pay attention to it. You go after it. And now the whole purpose of this study is to encourage you to understand why it's important to go after the Word of God. Go after it with all your heart. Go after it with all your heart because it will change your life forever. Pastor Sam, our founding pastor, had this wonderful, simple saying. He had a way of reducing things to just really simple, basic terms that you could remember. I love this one. I love it and I hate it. Do it. It'll work. Don't do it. It won't. It's that simple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God sown into our hearts tonight. Lord, I just trust that there were people here tonight that needed to hear this. I needed to be reminded of some of this. And so we thank you. We thank you that by faith the Word is sown tonight into our hearts. There may be situations that will come up this week, maybe next week, maybe down the road, where some of the things we've heard tonight, your Spirit will bring back to our remembrance and we will need to have heard exactly what we've heard tonight. And we didn't know why we heard it tonight. We didn't know why we embraced it, but you do. And we can trust you with the future, for you know all things. I pray tonight, Father, for those whose hearts are really open. Lord, that you will continue to increase their understanding. Pray for those, Father, that are dealing tonight with the cares of this world that are trying to suck out of their hearts the life and the faith that is intended for your word and those, Lord, that are trusting in the deceitfulness of riches. Strengthen them tonight, Lord, that they can let go of those cares and begin to put their faith and trust in your word in their hearts. For those, Father, whose, whose hearts may, may, be, may be stony and may be hard and there's stones in there and there's just issues and hardness in there, Father, we ask you to remove those stones. Help them to remove those stones. That the soil may be, may, be, may be soft and may be pliable, that may be aerated, so that the seed of your word may grow. Father, for those, for those Lord, who have other issues in their heart, their hearts are just hard, Lord, we ask you. For, keep sowing the seed until it falls on soil that will begin to take root, Father. We just continue to trust you. 
I thank you, Father, for your love and your patience and your faithfulness. And as we started tonight, you're our Father. You're our Father. And you love us. Your word says that Jesus, our Savior, is a faithful high priest. And because he has been through and dealt with temptations, he can, we can come, Father, to a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Because he was tempted in all ways as we were, yet he never gave in to it. And because of that, we can now come tonight to a throne of mercy and grace, to receive mercy and help tonight in whatever it is that our need is. So we come to you tonight and we thank you, Father. We pray now, Father, if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice that has not received Christ, that has not brought him into their life and received him as their Savior and as their Lord, that you will open their eyes now tonight to see their need for a Savior, that their need to know for certain that when their life on this earth is ended, that there is an open door into heaven for them that's waiting for them so that they can live the rest of their days on this earth in peace. We thank you for that in advance in Jesus' name.